0: You know, football season's kind of fun. Seeing you guys come in on a Sunday morning, you're representing uh, your teams and seeing, you know, the 49er fans, you're, you're welcome here. And, but, well, You know, Chiefs fans, you may want to find another church, but no, no, Chiefs fans are welcome here as well. But wasn't Russell Wilson on display Monday night? Like, talk about some some pressure. Here he is coming from Seattle to be the Denver Broncos quarterback, goes back to Seattle to play, and they fumble twice on the goal line and lose the game at the end. And he, he was on display uh, this week. But how much more so is Jesus on display in the Gospel of Luke? And we get to look at Jesus in this section of Scripture and marvel at his glory, marvel at his excellence. And unfortunately, his hometown, the city of Nazareth, gets familiar with Jesus to the point where it results in unbelief. They're like, oh, this is just the, the carpenter's son. This is, this is Joseph's son. And they didn't believe that Christ was the Messiah. So hopefully we can be in that place of fresh awe of who Jesus is. Verse 16, so he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So he comes back to his hometown, Nazareth, where he was raised as his custom was to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. For the nation of Israel, the Sabbath begins on Friday night and then ends as the sun goes down on Saturday. So he's coming to worship. He's in God's house. If it was Christ's custom to come and worship in God's house, how much more so for us? If he saw it as a priority, for us to see it as a priority. In verse 17, And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah... And when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. A visiting rabbi would have the opportunity to read a section of scripture. So they give the scroll to Jesus, and Jesus turns to Isaiah 61, which is a messianic passage, meaning it's a passage prophesying of the coming Savior, of the coming Messiah. And he very purposefully reads this section of scripture because it speaks of him, And we find Christ's mission. As Christ is on display, this is his mission. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Jesus, living out his human life, God in human flesh, was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is upon him, and he's also anointed. Interestingly enough, the word Christ means Messiah. And Messiah means anointed. Jesus is the anointed one. He's the appointed one to be our savior. To preach the gospel to the poor. This was the priority of Christ as he wanted to share the gospel with the poor. What's the gospel? The gospel is this, that Jesus died for our sins and rose again according to the scripture. That's the good news. That's what saves us. That he took our punishment upon the cross that all who believe are saved. And he's specifically preaching the gospel to the poor. Not necessarily an economic statement, not the economic poor, though it would include that, but it's the poor in spirit. It's spiritually those who realize they're bankrupt and they need a savior. As you look at the ministry of Christ, he really put his priority on broken people, on people that understood that they were a sinner, that understood that they were a mess. The religious leaders... The scribes, the Pharisees, who felt that they had it all together. Jesus resisted them, but he didn't spend his time necessarily focusing on them. But he went to the prostitute. He went to the tax collector. He went to the demon-possessed who was delivered. He went to the fishermen. He went to those that realized that they had a need. He went to Nicodemus, who, who was a religious leader but realized his need, those that were poor in spirit. And those that are poor in spirit, the gospel is attractive to us. Amen? Because we realize that we can't save ourselves. We need a savior. We need the anointed one. We need the Messiah to die for our sins. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Remember, this is all a quote out of Isaiah 61. Jesus came to heal our broken hearts, and he's a master at it. He's the great physician. We all carry different types of pain in our lives, different ways and aspects that our hearts have been broken. And Jesus has the capacity to be able to heal our broken heart. God in human flesh, where he's God, but yet he understands the human experience. He understands rejection. He understands suffering. He went through the most brutal suffering upon the cross, and he wants to heal our broken hearts. And apart from Christ, we can't experience healing. No one can heal the way that Jesus can. If we're willing to bring our pain to him, bring our hearts to him, allow him to take us through that process of healing our broken hearts, to proclaim liberty to the captives. This is why Jesus came, is to set the captives free. On Friday night, we watched 13 Lives It's a movie based off of the 13, 12 boys and one coach, 13 all together, that went down into the cave in Thailand. The boys had finished up uh, soccer. They were going to go to a birthday party, lived in this village right by this cave, decide to go into the cave. The coach is like, well, I better go with you. Monsoon season came early and the cave very quickly filled with water. It's flooded. They find a cavern and the world response. There was 5,000 volunteers from 17 different countries that responded to that emergency. And it was amazing the diving that took place. You've got Navy SEALs from Thailand that were diving. This expert team from England shows up. And to think of those boys and the coach when the first divers popped their heads up and flashlights went into their darkness. And ultimately, they were rescued. All 13 of them were saved. They came up with this idea to have to sedate them with anesthesia. Otherwise, they would panic in these close quarters of water. Never been done before. And in this process of the boys and the coach being saved, two died. Two Navy SEALs died from from Thailand. And that's what Christ came to do for us. That's what he's he's done for us. We're we're captives. There's no way out. We're dead in our sin. We're, We're trapped. But yet, he loved us enough to come into our cave and to set us free. And we, this morning, are free people because of the gospel. Free people because of what Jesus has done for us. And you can't put a price tag on that. To know that we're forgiven. To also know that the power of sin's been broken in our lives. We don't have to continue In sin, Jesus came to set the captives free. And now we're on mission with Jesus. We get to love people that don't know Christ and introduce them to Jesus and let them know that that Jesus can set them free. And recovery of sight to the blind. Yes, physically Jesus restored sight to the blind, but spiritually as well. Think about your life before you knew Christ as your Savior how much more clearly you see things now. There's a lot of things we don't understand, but there's so much more that we do understand since God has given us spiritual eyesight. And remember, people that don't know Christ, they haven't received this spiritual eyesight. If you're thinking about trusting Christ as your savior, he'll forgive you of your sins, and life in the gospel is he'll also change your perspective, is you'll see things from a different perspective, going from being a place where you're blind but now you see. Remember Saul and his conversion? God had him be blind for for three days. Why was that? He ultimately healed him of that temporary blindness, but it was symbolic of what God had done in Saul's life. Up until that point, he had been blind spiritually, but now he can see. He can see things from this perspective of who Jesus is. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, the downtrodden, Christ brings that freedom. He brings that liberty to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus purposely stops reading here in Isaiah 61. If you go back and study that chapter, the prophecy, this messianic prophecy, also goes into Christ's second coming when he rules and reigns over all of the nations. That's what we look forward to, the second coming of Jesus. Can you imagine the world with Jesus in charge? But the first coming of Jesus is as a suffering servant to go to the cross. For the nation of Israel, they thought, well, the Messiah has come, so that must mean that the Roman Empire is going to be overthrown. And that's going to take place in the second coming. So so Jesus purposely stops here because this is what he's going to fulfill in his first coming. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Why are they fixed upon Jesus? Because they know this Isaiah 61 passage is speaking of the Messiah. It was bold for Jesus uh, to read this, but even more bold, verse 21, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is a clear claim to be the Messiah. It's like this is fulfilled in your hearing. You are experiencing the gospel being preached to the poor. You're experiencing the broken having their heart healed. You're experiencing the captives being set free, the blind being able to see. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? So first response is great. They're blown away at his gracious words that he speaks. But then they start to have this discussion Is this not Joseph's son? Is this not the carpenter's son? Didn't he grow up around here? There's no way that he could be the Messiah. When you study the Gospels, the city of Nazareth rejected Jesus in a way that other communities did not, especially in the northern region. Nazareth is in the northern region. Capernaum that we're going to read of really trusts and believes in Christ. But yet, Nazareth, their hearts are filled with unbelief. It seems as though they're familiar with Jesus to a point where it makes them comfortable with Jesus, and they're not in a place of awe and trust of Christ. And I think that this is a danger for us. I experienced it growing up. I grew up hearing about Christ, and I was familiar with Christ, and and went to Christian school. And you would have thought that all of us in chapel were at the dentist office instead of hearing about Jesus. It's like, oh man, it's time for chapel again. It's like, oh, we gotta gotta go to chapel Sunday morning, oh gotta go to church. Let's go to church. And it was Charlie Brown's own. It was like wah 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 wah. You know another thing about about Jesus is just so familiar about Christ, and all of us believed in Jesus, but didn't live for Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And that's what I see in Nazareth is it's just this familiarity with Christ that leads to this unbelief and almost this contempt for Christ. And, and we want to be careful that we don't fall into that, that we don't get into that place of going, well, I've read the gospel of Luke before. I've read Romans before. I, I understand the gospel. We almost get too comfortable with Jesus. We should be in a place where we can read the gospels and go, oh, this is amazing. Where we can meditate on the gospel, take communion and go, Jesus, this is phenomenal that you, you love me. In verse 23, so he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. He says, you're going to speak this to me, physician, heal yourself. And also, the things that are done in Capernaum, we want to be done here in Nazareth. In Matthew 13, verse 58, it says, now, he didn't do many works there because of their unbelief. Jesus longed to do similar things that he did in Capernaum and Nazareth, but Nazareth didn't trust them. Their unbelief prevented the works of God. And that's humbling, that our unbelief could prevent what God wants to do in our lives. Verse 24, then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you, truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. And there was great famine through all the land, but none of them was Elijah's sent, except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who has a widow. And many leaders were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Nahum the Syrian. So Jesus acknowledges and says, a prophet has honor except in his own country. Sometimes the hardest place to live out a testimony for Jesus Christ is in your own family, right? Your immediate family can have a testimony at work, have a testimony with your neighbors, but then your parents, your brothers, your sisters, they, those that you've grown up with are like, oh, you're a Jesus follower now? You're a Jesus freak now? You think you're better than us? And that type of thing. And if that happens to you, just know that that was the case for Jesus as well. He was accepted in much of the country except in his hometown. Jesus gives two examples that Nazareth is really not gonna like. And the first is Elijah. And Elijah is led by the Lord to pronounce this famine and drought upon Israel because of their unbelief, because of their rebellion, their idolatry. God leads him to go to Sidon, to Zarephath, a Gentile widow for provision, which is amazing that God's gonna provide through a widow. You don't normally go to a widow to experience provision comes into the widow's house and she's making her last meal. And Elijah boldly asks, hey, can you make me some as well? She's like, okay, and does it in faith. And as she continued to make meals, God supernaturally multiplied. God supernaturally provides. But notice there was a lot of widows in Israel that weren't experiencing this provision. The other example is Elisha. We've got Naaman the leper. He's got leprosy. There's no cure for leprosy has a servant girl from Israel, and she says, why don't you go visit the prophet in Elisha? And so he goes, and he travels to visit Elisha from, from Syria. And Elisha says, all you gotta do is go dip in the Jordan River seven times. And Naam gets offended, and he says, we've got better rivers in Syria. Why would I go into the, the Jordan River? And his servant who was traveling with him said, well, what if he asked you to do something hard? Wouldn't you do it? He's like, yeah. Well, why don't you just go do the simple thing? So he goes, dips in the Jordan seven times and he was healed. But the Israelites were not experiencing this. There are many lepers in Israel at the time that didn't experience this. Notice Nazareth's response to this. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these words, were filled with wrath or rage. Why did they get so angry? Because Jesus is saying to them that Gentiles have more faith than you. And the Jews looked down at the Gentiles, thought it was better to be a dog than be a Gentile. So notice the change that happens in their hearts. They go from, oh man, the marvelous, gracious words that Jesus has spoke to now they're super ticked off at Jesus and they try to kill him. "...and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which the city was built, that they might throw him off of the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way." This is the southwest edge of Nazareth. There's a cliff, and that cliff is still there today. You can look up images online, and they they lead Jesus, this angry mob, they lead Jesus out to the cliff, and they're intending to kill Christ." And what does he do? He passes through the midst of them, and he went his way. This is phenomenal. Jesus is basically saying, not today, guys. You're not killing me me today. And you wonder what his facial expressions were. Was it really stern, and he just walked through? Or did he just smile, you know, and kind of laugh and pass through? But ultimately, they weren't able to kill him, And this shows that Jesus is God. No one's going to take his life from him. He's going to willingly lay it down when it's the right time. Jesus willingly laid his life down at the cross. If if he didn't want to be crucified, there was no way that he was going to be crucified. So he just walks right, right through this. We know the word of God is going to last for eternity. We'll study the word with Jesus in heaven. Isn't that a cool thought? But I I wonder if there's video of it. Because I would love to see some of these things. You know, I I would love to have been there to see Jesus do this. In verse 31. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. Capernaum is going to be the city where Jesus spends the most time in his public ministry. In a sense, it's his his headquarters. And it's a beautiful spot. If you ever have the opportunity to, to go to Israel... Sea of Galilee is beautiful. Capernaum is, is beautiful. And he's there in the synagogue teaching on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching for his word was with authority. So now we see Christ's authority. We've seen his mission. We, we've seen his rejection, that he was rejected by those in Nazareth. But now we see his authority. And this whole section really emphasizes his authority. Rabbis at this time would oftentimes just quote another teacher or another rabbi this is what this person says and this is what this person says but jesus didn't do that he would teach with authority now in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out with a loud voice sometimes we don't really anticipate this but there is a real spiritual battle when we come to god's house to worship And this demon is at the synagogue in this demon-possessed man. You might struggle even while you're in God's house, even while you're worshiping and studying the Word of God. All of a sudden, we're bombarded with thoughts. We're like, where did that come from? You've heard me say this before, but there's no resistance as a family when we go to a movie, right? If we can find one worth watching and spend our life savings at the movie theater, right? But, But... you know, there's not really a lot of resistance to to turn on the Bronco game. But try to get your family to church and there's some resistance, right? Even try to open up your Bible and spend time in God's word and there'll be some resistance. And so this demon is there at the synagogue as well, saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Satan in the demonic realm is threatened here by Jesus. There's pleading for Jesus to leave him alone. They know that Jesus is the authority. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and didn't hurt him. So Christ has authority over this demon and over Satan. This is not hard for Christ. This is easy. He rebukes the demon tells the demon to be quiet, has the demon come out of him, and this man is delivered. Verse 36, they were all amazed and spoke among themselves saying, what a word this is, for with authority and power, he commands unclean spirits and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. The word amazed means struck out of your mind. When was the last time you're just struck out of your mind, where you're totally amazed? And they're amazed at Jesus, and they're starting to share about Him, saying, "What a word this is! For with authority and power, He commands the unclean spirits to come out." So He teaches with authority; He's got authority over the demonic realm, and the testimony of Christ, the fame of Christ, begins to spread every place in the surrounding region. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. This is Peter. Peter's given name is Simon. Jesus changes his name to Peter. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made a request of him concerning her. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and served them. This is a little bit of a side note, but it fascinates me, is this indicates that Simon indeed is married because he has a mother-in-law. Makes sense, right? And we don't get any detail into how family life worked for Peter. How did this whole thing of being a disciple, and it seems that Peter went everywhere with Jesus for three years, how did that work out in his marriage, right? He probably have kids. We don't know for sure, but it would make sense. He's married. He probably has kids. How did he have the finances to be able to go follow Jesus everywhere for those, those three years? How did he take care of his wife and his kids? Was his wife on board? Was she committed to being a disciple of Christ too? Were the kids committed to be disciples of Christ too? We don't know. And this is a point where I would love to know, how did this whole discipleship work and being a follower of disciples work with their families? We don't get a lot of indication of that, but we do know when we put Christ first that that God is faithful in our families as well. They bring this request to Jesus that his mother-in-law has this high fever. It's interesting that Christ may not have healed her if they didn't bring it to his attention. And God waits for us to bring things to his attention in prayer. Don't ever think that anything is too small to bring to the Lord. You might go, Oh, I've got a fever. It's not that bad. Bring it to the Lord. God may choose to heal. Sometimes he brings supernatural healing in this life, sometimes he, he chooses not to. Notice what she does with her health. And immediately she rose and served them. If we are asking the God f- for healing or financial breakthrough, what are we going to do with the health and finances? Are we going to serve? And Simon's mother-in-law, as soon as she's healthy, she goes and serves, serves Jesus and others. And hopefully that's what our motivation is. Lord, would you give me good health, not just so that I can be comfortable, but that I could serve you, that I could be a blessing to others. Lord, would You take care of our needs financially because I want to be a blessing to you. I want to be a blessing to, to others. In verse 40, when the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, you are the Christ, the Son of God. I love this because word gets out in Capernaum, hey, bring every messed up person to Jesus. He's hanging out at Simon's house. Now be careful when you allow Jesus to be present in your home because he may bring over some guests. You know what I'm saying? Like Peter's like, hey, Jesus, why don't you come over for, for a meal? Jesus is like, great. Heals the mother-in-law, Great. And then every messed up person in Capernaum shows up at Peter's house. Peter's going, oh man, this is going to get a little crazy, right? Like demon-possessed people don't really behave correctly, right? (laughs) And you've got sick people with various diseases that are contagious. Peter's getting out the hand sanitizer. Hey, could you please (laughs) sanitize your hands before you come in here, right? But what does Peter have the joy of seeing? Seeing God work. And this is the fulfillment of Jesus' mission. He's coming for the broken. He's coming for the captive. He's healing hearts. He's he's preaching the gospel to the poor. What if in Colorado Springs, this was the testimony of Jesus? If you're broken, come to Jesus. Hey, all all the broken people, all the people that don't have answers in life, Addicted to drugs, addicted to sex, addicted to alcohol, addicted to the love of money. You're feeling oppressed from a demonic activity, possibly even demon-possessed. Hey, you need to come to church. What if that was the testimony of the church in Colorado Springs? That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Amazing to be able to share Christ's heart. And he rebuking them didn't allow them to speak for they knew that he was... The Christ, So Jesus rebukes these demons and doesn't allow them to speak. Why? Because it's the right message. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But it's the wrong messenger. You know what I'm saying? This is not who Jesus wants to be out sharing the message, these demons. And also it's the wrong timing. This isn't the timing where Jesus is announcing that he is the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. We got just a couple verses left and stay with me because I think that this is so important, this last few verses, is all of a sudden now, it's the next day, it's it's the next morning. There's a parallel passage to this in Mark chapter one, if you want to write it down and, and read it. And it tells us that Jesus got up long before it was day, long before it was sunrise. And he goes to this deserted place to pray. To the point where Simon and others come find him and beg Jesus to stay in Capernaum. Now notice, Jesus has just had a really full day. He's teaching in the synagogue, heals Peter's mother-in-law, and then every broken person in Capernaum shows up And he's praying and healing and casting out demons well into the night if there would have been a morning to hit the snooze button it would have been that morning but instead jesus gets up long before the sun rises to spend time with the father i think jesus knew something and he understood something he knows where real refreshment comes from and yes we need sleep and i i love sleep i'm a different person when i don't get sleep so we need sleep But even more so, we need that time with the Lord. We need to get alone with the Lord. Be in that solitary place. Go with a walk with the Lord. Sit in quietness and pray and spend time in in God's word. And as he's spending time with the Father, he gets his priority. We see Christ's priority. And the crowds sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, Because for this purpose I've been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Did you notice Jesus said no? He said no. He said no to Peter's request, he said no to the people's request. You would think from human terms that Christ would want to stay. There's revival happening. Capernaum's listening to his teaching, they're impressed at his authority demons are being cast out, people are getting healed, lives are are getting changed. Strategists would say, hey, you stay right there in Capernaum. But Jesus, as he spends his time with the Father, he knows what he's supposed to do. And it's quite a statement that he says, I must. I must do this. This is the reason why I came. Not just for Capernaum, but for these other cities as well. So I'm going to go preach the kingdom in these other cities hear me on this. Do you know your must? Do you know your priority? And does it come from the Father? We do one of two things. Sometimes we define our must. We define our priority. We go, these are the things that I, that I have to do. They make sense to us. Or we let other people define our priorities for us. And that's a terrible way to live. If we're trying to fulfill everybody else's expectations. We're never going to discover what the Father has for us. It gets to the heart of this issue. Am I seeking to please God or am I seeking to please men? Because I can't do both, right? And it's so freeing when we get our orders from the Father and we know, hey, this is what God wants me to do. This is the priorities that God has given to me. And I'm going to die to my own agenda, which can be hard to do. I'm going to die to some of my wants. But I'm also going to die to what other people are asking of me. Because if we always say yes, 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 ultimately it's going to lead to burnout, isn't it? It's going to lead to a place where, where we just have nothing left. So we can be yoked to everybody's expectations or we could be yoked to Christ, but there's only one way to discover that, and that's time alone with the Father. Lord, I, f- I feel overcommitted, I feel stretched too thin. I, At the end of every week, I'm just completely exhausted. What do we tell ourselves? Oh, it's just a season. When we're saying that too much, what that really means is it's a lifestyle. We've got a lifestyle of of being burnt out. So find what the Father has and have that courage to, to follow the Father and see those things that we can say yes to and what we can say no to. As Christ is on display, we see Christ's mission that he came to proclaim the gospel. Do you need to receive the gospel today? Have you trusted Jesus for salvation? Have you come to that place of being poor in spirit? In just a moment, we're gonna take communion. The elements are here in the front and the back, and the bread represents Christ's broken body, and the cup represents his shed blood. But have you received Christ? Have you been like the community of Nazareth, like me growing up, where you're familiar with the things of Christ, but you don't have that true, genuine faith in Christ? Would you trust Him today? Would you be poor in spirit to turn from sin, to cry out to Christ and say, Jesus, save me? And as people are coming to take communion, you come to the sides, there'll be a prayer team, and let us know, I'd like to trust Christ as my Savior. Do you need to experience Christ healing your broken heart there's pain in your heart today and as you take communion, give Christ the opportunity to, to heal your heart. We see Christ's mission. We also see Christ's rejection. It's pretty easy for us to read through this with him being rejected in Nazareth. But remember, this is where he grew up. This is his family and his friends. We know his half siblings didn't trust Christ until after the, the resurrection. There could have even been his brothers there in this mob trying to throw him off of the cliff. This is not a big village. This is Nazareth. And yet his hometown is trying to kill him. So we see Christ's rejection, but we also see his authority. There's no one like Christ. We see Christ's priority. And us being able to say, I want to see what God's priorities are for my life. So would you stand with me and let's pray and We'll enter into communion together. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. And Jesus, as you're on display, we, we are amazed of you. There's no one like you. And your authority, your humility, that you were willing to be rejected. And we love you. We pray that communion would be fresh in our hearts and lives This morning, Jesus, as we remember your broken body and your shed blood, in Jesus' name, amen.